0: Would you pray with me, please? Oh, Father God, as we come to your Word, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would inspire it in us, that your Holy Spirit would inspire my words, that your Holy Spirit would inspire the hearing of my words. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, add to my words whatever is fitting to you. I am grateful to you, Father, that I am able to speak your word. And I just thank you for the opportunity to be together as a family, to come together around your throne and around your word. Father, we are grateful to you. We are so thankful to you for everything you have ever done continue to do and is yet to do we thank you father in the name of jesus lord amen Amen. good morning everyone may i invite you please to take your bibles out and uh, to open them to the gospel of john gospel of john chapter 15 There are Bibles in your pews. Also, you have the insert. You can follow it through the insert, or you can uh, just call it out if you have an app on your phone or a tablet or something like that. But it is important that you be reading with me what the Word of God actually says, not just what I say. So we uh, we read the gospel this morning, and and uh, we read and we just sang this uh, beautiful song uh, that tells us that Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches, and the Father is the keeper. And uh, these words of Jesus, if we put them in context, I um, we all need to realize that Jesus spoke these words at the Last Supper. Uh, It's the evening of the Last Supper. Jesus is uh, with his disciples. Most Most likely, they are still in the upper room. It's not until we get to chapter 18, verse 1, that we read that Jesus crossed the Kidron brook, or the brook of Kidron, and went up to the Garden of Gethsemane. That's not until chapter 18. We are in chapter 15. So, we can assume that since the Last Supper started on chapter 13, chapter 15 fits within that evening that Jesus spent with his disciples, his Last Supper with them. We also need to uh, understand that by the time Jesus speaks these words, Judas is no longer with the twelve. Judas has already gone out to do his deed. In fact, uh, we read in John 13, verse 26, and says, And having uh, dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, that is, Jesus gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, uh, bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought that uh, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately. And I, I love, I love what, uh, how John puts it. And, and he says, and it was night. And it was night. I don't think he was just referring to the fact that the sun had set. I think he was referring to the darkest night of history, uh, the night in which Judas went to sell out his lord and his master for a few coins, silver coins. So John finishes that telling us of Judas leaving the upper room by saying that it was night. So, Jesus is in the upper room. What's this uh, Last Supper about? What's happening this evening? I just want to give you a few brief things that are happening this evening. First of all, I think Jesus was celebrating um, an early, a day early, the Passover, the Passover of the Jews. I think uh, Jesus was celebrating Passover, if you remember uh, what the Passover signify, you remember that uh, God had told Moses to tell the people to go ahead and kill a lamb, go ahead and and take its life, go ahead and, and butcher it, and take some of the blood of that lamb, and take the blood and paint it on the doorpost of their house, because that day, the angel of death, which is the last of the plagues of Egypt, was going to pass over. And when he would come to one of these houses where the blood of the lamb had been painted on, he would know to pass it over, to not visit it, to not kill the firstborn. Thus, we get the term Passover. As Jesus is celebrating the remembrance of the Jewish Passover, Jesus also takes bread signifying that he is the Lamb of God that he is the lamb that God is given for the people and he takes the bread and after he blesses the bread and, and commits it to the Father he breaks it in an act of his own body being broken being slain being killed and he just breaks it and says this is Is my body which is given for you. And then he takes some of the wine, and again, after he gives the blessing, he says, This is my blood. This is the blood like the Lamb of God caused the angel of death to pass over. This is the blood that would cause you and cause death to pass you over in the future. It is in my blood that you will have eternal life. It is in my blood that you will not see death. Your body may die and be buried, but you will live forever through the blood of the true Lamb of God. Every other Lamb was a symbol of what was to happen. But he was the true lamb that God was offering for the sins of the world. And he, through the through that Last Supper, is taking the place of the Lamb of God and showing the people or showing his disciples that what he's doing by his death is he is freeing all of us from the slavery of sin as the Jewish people had been freed from the Egyptian slavery. And that's part of what's happening that night. But if you continue following the teaching of that evening— Jesus begins to tell them after he celebrates the Passover and after he washes their feet, Jesus begins to tell him that he's leaving, that he's leaving them. That would be the last Passover meal he would eat with them. He's leaving them, but he also assures them that he is coming back for them. If you remember in chapter 14 of John, Jesus says, in my Father's house there are many rooms. I'm going to go and prepare one for you, but I'm coming back to get you so that you can be with me wherever I am. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but Jesus is saying, I will come back to get you and bring you to myself. To that place we call the Father's house so he teaches them on it the second thing jesus teaches that evening to his disciples is that he's not leaving them orphan that he's leaving but he's not leaving them alone he's leaving behind and he's going to ask the father to give them the spirit of god whom he calls the helper or he calls the Holy Spirit, or John tells us that he's called the comforter, the defender, the one that would stand in the gap between Jesus' living and Jesus's return. The Holy Spirit would be with the disciples and with those that would believe. So he says to them, I assure you, you are not alone, nor my living here This earth means that I'm abandoning you. I'm leaving with you the Holy Spirit. And then he speaks to them about the necessity that in between between his leaving and his coming again, that it was imperative for the disciples to remain in Jesus, to abide in him, to abide in him, to be attached to him. To be attached to every teaching he gave them. To be attached to every expectation that Jesus is coming again. To be attached to everything that Jesus has commissioned us to do. To be attached to our Lord and to our Master. And that's in part what we're talking about today. But he also tells them and he teaches them about being in relationship with each other. And if you remember, this is the night that we call Mounty Thursday, because it's the day that Jesus gave the commandment, not only to celebrate the Passover, but he gave the commandment, the commandment that we are to love one another, that we are to love one another. He's not leaving us alone. He's leaving the Holy Spirit, but he's also leaving you to one another. Jesus is leaving each disciple to be the support of one another. Jesus is leaving brothers and sisters to live in community and to help one another. Jesus teaches them that we are to love one another as the Father has loved him. And he also teaches them that evening that the world will hate them. And if they're going to survive the hate of the world, they're going to survive it through the Holy Spirit and through the community of believers helping one another, encouraging one another, healing one another, That's the only way we're going to survive as a church, from Jesus' having left to Jesus' return. And then in chapter 17 of John, Jesus actually prays the real Lord's Prayer. Because the the Lord's Prayer that we pray and that we sing and that we all have memorized is really the Lord's teaching to us that that's how we need to pray. But that's not Jesus' prayer to the Father. In chapter 17 of John is what we call Jesus' priestly prayer. And if you read Jesus' priestly prayer, he states to the Father his concern in that prayer. And his concern is for every one of his disciples. And his concern is for everyone that will believe after them because he knows that they're going to be at the mercy of a world that can be pretty cruel against christ and against the teachings of christ and against the followers of christ so jesus's prayer if you read it father glorify your son as your son has glorified you i pray to you for these men and and these women i would add i pray to you for them i pray that you be with them that you support them that you defend them that you be with them And most of his prayer has to do with us being one, our unity, and that the Father would be with us. And he also prays for all of the believers that would believe afterwards. That's what happens that evening. That is the teaching of Jesus. We live in between the time of Jesus' living and ascension, and the time of Jesus' return. This is what we call, this is the church's time to shine more than ever this is the church's time to fulfill the mission that God has commissioned to us. We live in the expectation of the second coming. We live in the expectation of God's glory. We live in the expectation of the victory of Jesus, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but that time is not yet. We still have a mission that we need to fulfill between Jesus's living, and Jesus is coming back, we have a calling, we have a mission, and we need to focus on what it is that that mission is all about. Through the Gospel of John, Jesus uses a couple of analogies or or picture, word pictures, and I'm not going to go into every detail of these pictures, but you can see them up there. Jesus says, "'I am the bread of life,' especially after he feeds the 5,000. Then he says, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger. And then later when he, uh, when he heals a blind man, he repeats several times that he's the light of the world. And then he says, I am the door of the sheep. And then I am the good shepherd. And then at the resurrection of Lazarus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. And then he, uh, at the Last Supper, when the, the disciples are wondering, where is he going? How do we go there? I mean, how do we find the way? Jesus responds and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the last of the I am sayings of Jesus is this one we read today I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And I think it's very important that we focus on those words. I am the true vine. Jesus has already said to us before when he spoke about him being the door of the sheep and telling us that salvation is by going through that door and door alone. And he's told us that everyone else that has tried to come in to where the sheep are are thieves and robbers. Remember that? I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Everybody else other than Jesus is a thief and a robber. They don't care for the sheep the way he cares for the sheep. He calls them by name, and he recog- they recognize his voice. He is the daughter of the sheep, and he's the good shepherd. Now he tells us that he is the true vine. Whenever he says, I am the true vine, means that there is a false vine, right? If he says he's the true vine, it's because there is a false vine. The false vine, from Jesus' point of view, is the Judaism of his day. The rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, all those teachers that are going on, he says they are not the true vine. I am the true vine of the Father. I am the true vine. There's two things I want to say to you. He's not the first person to say those words. First of all, the Essenes, those that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, they separated from from Jerusalem precisely because they considered that the Judaism of the rabbis, the Judaism of the Pharisees and the Sadducees had been adulterated, that it wasn't the true Torah of God, that it wasn't the true word of God, and they had separated to live in caves, and they're the ones that wrote and caused to write the Dead Sea Scrolls. They felt they were the true Israel, the true uh, people of God. So Jesus, when he says he's the true vine, he's not alone. But then the prophets have said this before. Take a look at what Jeremiah wrote years before Jesus. Jeremiah writes in 221, Yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? Psalm 80 speaks of the same thing. Isaiah 5 speaks of the same thing. He says that God, Isaiah says that God has planted a vineyard and that vineyard had turned against him. And you find that also in Ezekiel and you find it ultimately in Hosea where he speaks about the vine has gone bad. That is not the vine that God had planted originally. So, when Jesus says he's the true vine, he's differentiating himself from the Judaism of his day. He is the true vine versus the false vine. Jesus is the true vine of the true Father, represented here as the gardener, the vine dresser, the keeper. and we are the true branches of the true vine. Look with me for a moment at the role of the Father. It's so easy to focus on Jesus and on us and, and miss completely the role of the Father. You know, when I look at the role of the Father in this illustration, Jesus is always pointing to his father. And what he says of his father is that he's the gardener, or the vine dresser, or the keeper. You know, I think he's meaning for us to understand that the vineyard belongs to the gardener, that the vine belongs to the gardener. That the father is the owner of the entire vineyard. That the father's role in this thing is to take care of the vine, take care of the vineyard, take care of nurturing it, take care of of making sure that his vine is a faithful, fruit-filling vine. The role of the father is to love the son, to be with the son, to help the son in every way. But then he adds that it is the role of the farmer or the role of the gardener to clean the vine so that it produces fruit. And he says that the father will remove from the vine any branch that does not bear fruit. It is the Father's job to take those branches that are producing nothing and remove them, so all the nourishment goes to the branches that are producing fruit. But it is also the role of the Father as the gardener to to prune the branches. You know, every branch sometimes has stuff that gets attached to it, like leaves that are withered, you know, one of the things I love in my life is, is taking care of my roses. I call them my roses, but I, you know, I don't think I planted them. I think they were there when we got to the house. And I learned from Hugh Palmer, who used to... Uh, Janet's father, who used to own a, a, a nursery, and he taught me how to prune roses. And there's two things that I've learned about roses. Number one, I want you to know my gardener comes and he, he mows the lawn, but I tell him, don't touch my roses. The roses are mine. It's the only thing in my life left where I actually touch the ground. You know, where I can see something grow like that and I have something to do with it and get my hands dirty with the dirt. But I also realize that just about every rose occasionally has this offshoot that comes from the bottom, and and it goes alongside the rose, and it looks beautiful, and it looks green, and it looks colorful. But that thing, that branch that is growing, will never, ever produce a single rose because it's not part of the plant it grows alongside it, but it has to be cut at the very bottom because that is not a branch or a part of the real vine. And it has to be removed because it is getting fed from the ground that is fertilized that belongs to the rose. And if you want gray roses, you have to cut those things out. But the other thing I've learned about roses is that After the rose is beautiful and you see it and it has grown, it eventually withers. And unless you prune that branch, no new rose will come out of that branch. You have to cut it at the little knob there. You cut it. You also decide in which direction your next branch is coming through. If you want it to go that way, you have to cut it in such a way that it begins to bud that way. And if you want it to come this way, you cut it in another way, so it begins to bud this way, and then a new rose comes. The father is the pruner of his church. The father prunes every branch that is not producing fruit, that is not producing because it's there, just sucking the nourishment out of pastors. And is sucking the nourishment out of churches, and they don't intend at all to produce any fruit for the kingdom of God. And it is the Father's role to prune his vine and to cut off those branches that do not belong to him or that are not producing fruit but those branches that produce, he prunes so that it grows and expands and give a lot more roses or a lot more fruit. That is the Father's role, because he cares for his planting. He cares that he has planted a church with a mission. And in the church with a mission, there are believers who are not producing any fruit, and there are believers who are producing fruit. And God is glorified by the fruit that a church bears. And so, we need to ask ourselves, are we a fruit-bearing branch or not, or why not. The second thing I want you to look with me is not just the role of the Father who owns the vineyard and who is the one gets glorified by the fruitfulness of the vine. The second thing I want you to look at is the vine. And I want you to understand that the mediator— Between the Father's nourishing and the ground and the fruitfulness of the branch is the vine. Just as Jesus is the mediator between us and the Father. The vine is what we must be attached to if we're going to produce. By ourselves, we can produce nothing. We would just be a branch that is cut off, put somewhere, it withers, it dies, and eventually is gathered and burned, which is a sign of judgment. It's a sign of judgment. You can read here, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. The job of Jesus is to keep us connected to the nourishment of God. The job of Jesus is to give us the word of his Father, and we receive the word of his Father, and we become everything the Father intended for us to become. Unless you are attached to the vine, you are your own person, and you will not produce for the kingdom of God. One thing I want you to to see, the word for pruning, And the word where it says every branch uh, in me, uh, actually there is another word there that says you are all clean, it's the same word. Pruning and being clean is the same word. But it also says that you are made clean by the word. It is the word of God as we read it, as we study it, as we internalize it, it is the word of God that will prune us. The Word of God has that effect in all believers. When your heart is open to what God is saying to you, what the Spirit is saying to the church, you will be pruned, and you will be shown where it is that change is required, where sin still abides, and the Word of God will prune us. The Word of God, the commandments of Jesus, is the way by which God prunes His church. If you are not in God's Word... You are not being pruned. And that is why there's still sin in our lives. And that is why there's still junk in our lives. And that is why there's still disobedience in our lives, because we're trying to live our Christianity without the Word. And the Word is what cleanses us. The Word is what prunes us. The Word is God's sword, living sword, two-edged sword that cuts deep and shows us where we're wrong, and corrects us, and strengthens us, and builds us. That is how God prunes His church. You must be in the Word daily, weekly. We must love the Word, want the Word, desire the Word, look for the Word. It's not enough to sit in the pew and receive a sermon You must let the Word of God in. Otherwise, every sermon that I preach goes in one ear and out the other. And you won't remember the one I preached three weeks ago because you're not in the Word. You need to be in the Word daily, weekly. And you need to hear things over and over and over. And every time you hear it, you get pruned a little more. And you grow and you mature and you become what God intends you to become. The job of Jesus is to keep us connected to the Father. The job of Jesus is to be the mediator between the gardener and the branches. We get nourished through Jesus. We get nourished because of Jesus. We live because of Jesus. The branch cannot live unless it is attached to the vine. But the only reason for the existence of the branch is so that it bears fruit. The branch is not there to look pretty. The branch is there to bear fruit because the fruit is what brings glory to the gardener. The fruit is what brings glory to the gardener, and it shows that we are of Jesus, that we are his disciple. And so, the question that I have for you, I repeat, is how are you doing with fruitfulness? How much fruit are you producing? How much much fruit do you want to produce? Is God being glorified in your life? When people see you or people get to know you, do they glorify your Father who is in heaven? How much fruit are you producing? Are you just looking pretty in the church? because we are in that in-between time between Jesus leaving and Jesus coming back. And when he come back, ha- comes back, we're going to be held accountable for what we have done with the gospel. Fruitfulness requires that we show the world the goodness of God, the hard work of the Father. Fruitfulness it's about loving others like God has loved us. A living love, not just the four-letter word. A living, exciting word. Loving as, as the Father loves them. Serving as the Father has served us. We have the commission and the mission to go and evangelize the entire world. We need to be passing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be sharing it. We need to be telling others that the only reason we are the way we are is because Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, and he sits on the throne of our hearts. We're not different from anyone. We're not better than anyone. We're just being transformed by the one. How are you doing bearing fruit? How are you doing bearing fruit in your family? Are your children gonna know how to bear fruit unless they see you bearing fruit? Your grandchildren, your neighbors, your co-workers. Do we care for the poor? Do we reach out to the lonely, to those hurting because of the different diseases? How are we bearing the fruit of the kingdom of God? The Father is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. But how are you doing as a branch? Are you a branch that is not producing fruit, or are you a branch that is being pruned to produce even more abundant fruit? The Father is the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. There is not another one to follow. He's the true vine. And you and I are the branches of this vine. If the world is going to receive the fruit and the presence of God, it's going to be through you and through me. But it won't work unless we're attached to Jesus, unless we're abiding with Him, remaining in Him, connected to Him, and letting the nourishment of the Lord come into our lives. And And then nobody will be able to keep you in your pew nobody will be able, I will not be able to say to you, no, don't serve. You will be asking me that you want to serve because you want to bear fruit. You will look for places, new ministries, new things to do, and no one will be able to say to you, don't serve the Lord, because you will serve Him here or someplace else, but you will serve the Lord because you are a true branch of the true vine with a mission until the Lord returns." Please, church, don't just warm the pew. Bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Bear fruit. Bear fruit. That's our calling. Amen.